Hey, Takeover Church, thank you so much for checking out today's message, whether it's on podcast or on YouTube. We are so grateful that you are here. We pray it blesses you and encourages you and that you will like, share, and subscribe across all Takeover platforms. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless. We love you guys. Charlie, you're not allowed on the stage anymore. You <laughs> say things like that. I was already coming into today crying, so thanks. Stop. Oh my gosh. My voice is not that high, I promise you, if you're new with us this morning. Oh. Well, good morning, Takeover Church. How are we doing? You doing good? How incredible was that worship set? Good. Wow. Man. It's incredible to me that the music industry allows local musicians to play music better than the people that recorded it live. No, <laughs> Give us that money. Yeah. No, um, Amy, never getting married. Give us that money. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, that was, that was incredible. That was absolutely incredible. And uh, yeah, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart and Adrian's, I'm sure as well, we are so grateful for every single person who not only calls Takeover Church home, but that serves and gives of their time and their money and their finances. I don't think churches say this enough, but man, when you give and when you serve and when you make this a part of your life, I think often it goes unnoticed and unappreciated, but I tell you this from the bottom of our hearts, not here. Not here. We see you and we love you and we're so grateful for your faith and your belief in us as your pastors and in this church and this community and what God has called Takeover Church to be in the city of Grand Rapids. Can you just praise God right now? Come on. You are so faithful and it means the world to be your pastor. It really does. All right, I gotta stop crying. Charlie. <laughs> that ain't right, Chuck. That ain't right. You make Charlie the rest of the day. Chuck from now on. No, it's Charlie. It's Charlie. <laughs> we call him Charles? Alright. No. This morning, if you're new with us, you'll also make it right here. Our man, our associate pastor, Scott Fletcher, brought the word last week. He crushed it. Give it up for Scott. May or may not have a Michael Jordan shirt on where he is may or may not smoking a cigar. I told him, I rebuked him already. Don't worry about it, church. We'll talk about it on Monday. Uh, but until then, it is an incredible shirt and uh, Michael Jordan for life, right? Come on, Chicago Bulls. Um, but this morning, we are continuing our series. Ready for this? Yeah. The heart of the Father. Yeah. The heart of the Father. In this season, we just. We just set apart, we just set the season apart, we have consecrated the season of church where we went into God's powers and ability, we went into what he has called us to be, he, we went into when we put our roots above and not below what he can do in our life, and in this season we just consecrated, we set it apart, and we have decided that for this season we just want to chase after the heart of God with everything we've got. Are you ready to keep chasing today? Yes. yes sir. Amazing. If you're taking notes, like Zach said... Title of my message is The Heart for Your Heart. The Heart for Your Heart. The Heart for Your Heart. And we're going to be coming out of the Old Testament today. Somebody say the OT. Come on, let's go. The OT. Y'all ready? Yeah, let's get it. Anybody love their VIBLE? Yeah. Yeah. No worries if you don't have one on you, even though I know you do because it lights up, but there's a Sky Bible right behind me. So Proverbs 23, 26 through 35. Come on. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit and an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? And who has redness and tiredness of eyes? Who tarry long over wine? Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in that cup. It goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mast, which is the top of the ship. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. 
They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So we're going to pray. And we're going to see what God will do with that. Sound good? Yeah. Father God, <laughs> like the Spirit was moving over the water, come rest on us, God. What, a, what an incredible song. What an incredible word. Father God, we just invite you into this place. Father God, we just invite you into this house to have your way. Great physician. Operate, God. Change in me what doesn't look like your son Jesus. And you know what? While we're in the invitation, God, Jesus, we just invite you into this room. Have a seat next to us. Love on us. Change us, God. We believe this morning as we interact with you, we are going to leave looking more like you and less like ourselves. So Holy Spirit, we are inviting all three of you to the party today. Come and have your way in this place and in this space and in the space between our hearts and yours, God. Resonate, radiate, change us. Change us from the inside out today, Father God. And Jesus' beautiful and mighty name, a faith-filled church said, Amen. Amen. The heart for your heart. The heart for your heart. Now, I'm like you. I'm sure you are wondering where this is going to go because that is a pretty wild portion of Scripture. But as we've set apart this season, as I kind of talked about week one and how Scott Brinley preached this last Sunday, man, I don't know what it was, but I found myself at my favorite local coffee shop, Grocers, and I was sitting there and I just had that phrase, the heart of the Father, pop in my head. And I started to cry. As we have moved towards the heart of God in this season as a church, He has drawn me as one of your pastors closer to His heart. And I can't help. I can't help but get emotional about it. When I think about His heart for me, and when I think about His heart for you, when I think about his majesty and his beauty and the fact that the God of the universe moved to heaven, he defeated hell, he did everything in his power so that you and I, we can know his heart if we would choose to. Yeah. Heart of the Father. His heart is for you. If I came with one word for you today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your week has looked like. I don't know what the season of life, the new year has been like for you. But I came to declare in this house today, God's heart is for your heart. God's heart is for your heart. God's heart is for your heart. And maybe you need it just one more time, a reminder. But God's heart is for your heart. Would you just repeat that after me? Say, God. Uh, sorry. Say, God's, God's heart, heart is for, is for my, my heart. heart. You see, so often I think when we say that in church, I think maybe we don't think about what God's heart for our heart means. When we say, God is for you. Have you ever heard that in church before? God is for you. Yes. Obviously, I think it goes without saying that we understand that God is for you means that God's heart is towards you. It's not against you. It's behind you. It's pushing you forward. It's propelling you into your destiny. God's heart is for your heart. It is towards you, not against you. Amen? Amen. Yeah. As well as when we say God's heart is for you, it's not for you in some abstract way. It's not for you in some without for or shape kind of way, unattainable way. When we say God's heart is for you, we mean it's for your heart. It's so you can partake in his heart. It's so you can observe his heart. It's so that you can experience his heart. It's so that you can get to know his heart. It's not just towards you, but it is for you. And when I say for you, I mean it is for you to partake in. To experience the heart of your father, your true father, your highest father, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the god of the universe. Bless you. God's heart is for your heart. And I love the book of Proverbs. 
I feel like it's a bit underrated or underappreciated. And uh, I don't mean by you, I mean by me. Because it dawned on me the other day that people literally go like a month. They, they'll, they'll go through the entire book of Proverbs. Like that's the thing to do, like a proverb a day, you know, keeps right. the devil away. You heard that one? Like I get that. And to me, as God laid this out of my heart, I was like trying to get away from it. I was like, nope. I don't want it, Lord. Like, I want to preach on this, and this is where I was feeling. He was like, nope, this is it. This is where you're going. And I'm like, I never preach out of Proverbs. And he goes, I know. I was like, all right. So I think you're probably going to go on a tear through Proverbs here pretty soon. I'm very excited about it because this has changed my life. I pray that it changes yours. But if you don't know, Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon is awesome. Solomon is actually the son of King David. It's through King David, through Solomon, that Jesus would actually come. It's the same bloodline. And Solomon, Solomon is awesome. He wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote Song of Solomon. So if you're single in here, don't read that. Okay? You wait. You wait. Okay? It's radar. You wait. And then he also wrote the entire book of Proverbs. And you see, when Solomon was a young man, he made a sacrifice to God. Like you would do in the Old Testament before Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He made a sacrifice for God. It wasn't to cover sin and it wasn't to um, it wasn't to you know atone for anything. He literally made a sacrifice. And it says that God drew close to Solomon and he asked Solomon, What? What do you want? What do you want? Isn't that a question we'd all love if God just gave, just gave us what we want, amen? But he said, What do you want, Solomon? And Solomon, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for the kingdom that was his father's. He didn't ask for an early inheritance. He didn't ask to be a ruler yet. He didn't ask for a spouse or love or any of those things or visions. No, what Solomon asked for. Solomon asked for wisdom. So, God of the universe draws near to you, and it's an open checkbook, and you go, wisdom. Yes. And it's out of that wisdom that he's known as one of the wisest to ever do it, to ever live. Now, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, just wait till the end, okay? Just get to the end, all right? He's just going to tell you that everything in life is vain, and it's vanity, and it's without purpose, and it sucks, but it all leads back to God. Praise God. Like, <laughs> Ecclesiastes gets a little dark, but it's wisdom, right? Come on. Right. But Solomon, so he writes Proverbs, and... What he's writing down in Proverbs is actually what God is speaking to him. So these are his recorded conversations with God. And I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible that the first part of this sentence that we just picked out for today, Solomon, God says, my son, give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. And I think as Christians... We'll read a proverb a day, we'll go through it monthly, we'll do this, and we will breeze past this section. We will breeze past this verb, verbiage, we will breeze past this phrase, we'll go right over this and be like, yeah, you know, like, I get that, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to welcome God into my heart. You know, like, I get that. On a, on a logical level, I understand that I, as a Christian, am to welcome God into my heart. Next, observe with your eyes. Okay, and we keep going, then we get to, you know, Proverbs, whatever is next. And then we carry on. But I think we're missing it. My son, give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. We live in a time and a place where so many of our Christian brothers and sisters were saying, yeah, I get it, I need to welcome God into my heart. But how many of you know there's a difference, there's a distinct difference between welcoming God in and giving Him your heart? There's a huge difference between welcoming God into your heart and making Him the owner of your heart. There's a difference between welcoming God in when it's comfortable, when it's beneficial, when we need to be bailed out, when we're feeling lonely, when we're going through a breakup and then we finally come back and let welcome God in. How many of you know this morning there is a distinct and severe difference between welcoming God into our heart and giving God our heart? You see, friends, what stands out to me about that is 
If I can welcome God into my heart, don't you know I can kick him out? Right. If I can welcome God into my heart, I can see him on his way out. If I've got a friend that I welcome over to my house, and I'm like, yo, I gotta go to bed by nine, and I see them out. Why? Because I have the option. I'm deciding whom I open my, heart, my house to, whom I open my heart to. And it's the same thing with God, and therein lies the problem with the phrase, I need to welcome God into my heart, because if I can just simply welcome him in, that means I can kick him out. If I can simply invite him in, it means I can tell him to leave. And I wonder so often how many of us actually do that. We might welcome God, isn't it funny, Christians? We will welcome God in with our speech, but we will kick him out with our actions. Yeah. See, I didn't want to do this. I didn't. Because it freaking hurt me too. And I had to examine myself. How often, man? How often do you invite God in? Do you talk a big game and welcome him into my heart? But then I have an action that precedes that thought, that speech, that moment of a vocalized invitation to the Lord. But because I'm the one welcoming people in, and I'm welcoming people out, that means my actions all of a sudden get to see him on his way out. So many of us, so many of our Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world, it's like, yeah, God, come. Come on in, God, have your way. Oh, wait, there's this girl coming over. God, you gotta go. God, you gotta go. I got a girl coming over. No accountability. None. It's good. Not, not texting anybody in my church, my leaders, nobody. I got a girl coming over. Get out, God. Yeah, God, come in. Come in, Lord. God, just be Lord over my life, Lord of it all, God. Oh, you know what? I got this new business, and I kind of gotta, like, you know, smudge the books a little bit so my integrity, you know, God, can you just see your way out for a minute so I don't have to have, like, you know, conviction about this moment? Because I need to kind of fix the books. There are so many different ways that we will sit here and we will proclaim, Lord, come and tear down the walls I've built up. Every wall I've built up, right? We say, come in God. We sing it all the time. I don't want God just to come into my walls. I want God to own my walls. Yeah. Friends, God, He is not interested in an invite. God is interested in the least. God's not interested in having a lean on your heart and being welcomed in and it being temporary. God's goal isn't to be welcomed in. God's goal is to own it. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. The chief concern of heaven was not that he would just be allowed weekend visitations have his kids every other Wednesday at boys' crew or babes' crew or team night or community night. That he gets a visit with you for two hours on a Sunday morning. God's plan for your life isn't that he would simply just be welcomed and then seen out when it's inconvenient or convenient for you. But that he would own your heart. See, one of the other things I've noticed about us owning our heart is that little idea that I just talked about of how if I'm the one making decisions about who is able to come in and who isn't able to come in, well, how many of you know I'm an imperfect human being? I hope you do. Praise God, okay? This morning, I need Jesus just as much as you, maybe even more, okay? Just so you know, I am human. God, thank you so much for your heart. Because my heart, my heart is faulty. My, my, my heart is broken. My heart is fragile. Your heart is faulty. Your heart is broken. Your heart is fragile. And when you and I, we are the sole owners of our heart, that means that we decide who comes in and who goes out, who's allowed in and what's allowed in and when it has to leave or maybe we don't even know because we opted and we're this broken and we're the ones deciding when we open our door. Chances are 
We've just got a faulty, broken, revolving door where we might invite God in, but we're giving him a lot of broken neighbors. We might invite God in, but we're also inviting in these looks that people give us that were accidental, but because we're broken, they just choose to rest in our heart, and all of a sudden we're jaded and angry towards a random person to admire who didn't even know that their face was resting that way, but because our heart is broken, because we're the owners of it, because we've left it wide open. A random look from somebody in a, in a grocery store just gets to come in and ruin our life. Or what about when we put it in church? Like somebody in the church is just being so well-meaning, right? They love Jesus, and they love God, and they love the Holy Spirit. They're trying to grow in their giftings, and man, they feel like they had a word for you. They feel like it's what God said to do. And instead, they're just trying to follow the voice of God. Well, because we've left our broken heart open, because we're the owners of our broken heart, because we're fragile and we're faulty, all of a sudden, somebody gives us a word they believe is from heaven, and it comes in, and you know what? Well, I didn't like the way she said that. That's not the word that I need right now. Because we're still the ones deciding what comes in and what yeah, goes out. Yeah, instead well, of heaven deciding what comes in and what goes well, out. And all of a sudden, I'm mad and I'm hurt and I'm offended. And suddenly pride and hurt and arrogance and all these things are just allowed to come and rest on the inside of my heart. Because I left a broken door open. Yeah. Because I'm broken. Because I'm broken, I have a broken ownership over my heart. Because I can't stay up day and night guarding it. Because I can't be on watch 24-7. I'm just a man. I can't stop every single lie from the enemy that comes in when I am the sole owner of my heart because I am not alert all the time. I am am asleep. I am busy. I have things going on. And suddenly I can just be driving the car. I can be welcoming God in. And then all of a sudden somebody, something said, a word pops in my head and it takes up residency right next to God in my heart. And I'm trying to listen to worship music, but I just can't get past whatever Karen said to me in the office the other day. And suddenly God's over here fighting for attention. God's not interested in fighting for attention. God wants ownership. Mm -hmm. Son, give me your heart. Son, give me your heart. Solomon, Solomon, like yourself, has an amazing call of God in his life. An amazing call of God in his life. Like every single one of you does, from Phil to Jonah to my mother-in-law, Annette in the back. Every single person in this room and outside of this room, by the way, there's a plan of purpose from heaven for every single person's life. But Solomon, he specifically has this massive call on his life. He is sure to be the next king after David. And God's saying, Solomon, give me your heart. Solomon, I know you. I know you, Solomon. I know you, Solomon. And I know, I know that no amount of wisdom in the world will keep you from messing up because you're broken. Wisdom won't bring freedom if God's not the owner of your heart. It just helps you to hide better. It just helps you to be more secretive because you're more cunning and crafty than you are wise. That's the broken version of it, isn't it? And God is just looking at Solomon like he's looking at all of us. And he's just going, Solomon, I know you, and because I know you, I know that you're not the one to lead your heart. I know you're not the one to lead your heart. This isn't to shame you. This is to protect you. This isn't to shame you. This is to save you, Solomon. 
But you just give me your heart because, man, you've got a call of God on your life that is going to affect heaven, it's going to affect earth, and it's going to affect hell. You have got a calling on your life that will affect the people's future in eternity and in the now. Solomon, would you please, oh please, just give me your heart. And he's saying the same thing to every single one of us today. Would you just give me your heart? Why, God? I like welcoming you in. I like being split. I like being able to do both. I like being able to show up to church on Sunday, get my praise on, feel good for Monday. And then I like being able to ask you to leave. Why, God, give you my heart? Because you've got a call of God in your life that's going to affect heaven, it's going to affect now, and it's going to affect hell. And what you're allowing into your heart whomever and whatever you allow into your heart will have influence over you. Whomever and whatever you allow into your heart will have influence over you. And then whomever and whatever that you allow into your heart that has influence over you will ultimately have influence over whatever you have influence over. Whomever <laughs> Whomever and whatever has influence over you will have influence over whomever and whatever that you have influence over. Solomon, give me your heart. Just give me your heart, Solomon. No amount of wisdom will save you. No amount of wisdom could lead you the way that I can. You are ill-equipped to have leadership and ownership of your heart. But if you give it to me, Solomon, if you would just give me your heart, I will decide what comes and what goes. I will decide what it's open to and what it's closed off to. I will decide who has a voice in your heart and who doesn't. I will protect. I will stay up all night. Because suddenly when you give God your heart, suddenly you've got the perfect designer. You've got the one who designed the heart, who knows how it works, who knows what's supposed to be in there and what's not supposed to be in there. Suddenly, you have the perfect gardener, the one that is able, the one that is able to catch the weeds, to catch the thorns, the ones that can nurse it and love it. You've got the perfect lover for your heart. You don't have to find it in her or in him, but when God has the ownership of your heart, you have the perfect lover for your heart. You've got the perfect voice for your heart when you give that over. Why? Because God doesn't have to sleep. God doesn't have to rest. God doesn't have to bring his personal baggage into your heart. Your heart is the heartbreak hotel. Okay, well, when God checks in because he buys the thing, you know what happens? He's not bringing baggage with him because God is trauma-free. Oh, if we would just get that today. Yes. How many people, how many voices, how many things have you invited into your heart that had trauma, that had baggage, that had more than meets the eye? Suddenly you see them, the more you get to know them, and you're going, what even are you? We had fun those three weeks, but a month in, you have got problems. <laughs> and now they're my problems. So we're still doing the couple's dinner thing Thursday, right? <laughs> Sorry. Because you have this perfect, perfect lover, perfect designer, perfect gardener. He's the perfect, I don't know what you call him, proprietor of the vineyard. He knows how to catch the foxes. He knows how to keep the grapes going. He knows how to make the sweetest and best wine that's going to benefit you and your spouse and your life and your future and your workplace and all of those things. He knows. He knows all the things that you don't. And he knows the perfect version of all the things that you do know. I hope this is preaching this morning. Yeah. I actually got reviewed through this week. Somebody told me to quit asking that question. He was right, and I just did it. 
Sorry, son. <laughs> he was right. He just said, be confident in what God's doing in the room. I was like, all right. I got you. But then, but then God says something else after this, doesn't he? He says something else after this. He says, my son, my son Solomon, give me your heart and then observe my ways. God, God, it's too much. It's too hard. Now, now you want my heart, but now you want my eyes? God, what are you even doing? You don't got to wonder about what I'm doing if I'm the owner of your heart and you can just watch me work. Right. God, I can't even wrap my head around this. I can't even wrap my head around what you're doing. You want my heart, you want my eyes, you want my life. It's like you want to be Lord or something. God, I can't even wrap my eyes around that. You don't have to wrap your eyes around what I'm doing. When I'm the owner of your heart, just observe my ways. God, I don't understand your ways. Your ways don't make no sense in the natural. Your ways don't make no sense to me. This doesn't compute. It's 2021. You're using the word prostitute in a verse. Like, what are you even doing, God? God, you want me to stay in this marriage even though this person cheated on me? God, you want me to serve the person at work who hates me and has held me back and down? God, you want me to forgive my father? You don't know what he did to me. No, I, I do. I do. I was there all those nights. I was there, and I saw, and I interceded on your behalf more than you will even ever know. You'll never know what I'm catching from. Give me that broken, beautiful heart of yours. And then watch what I'll do with it. God's word says that his ways are above our ways. And I'm so grateful that they are. I'm so grateful that I don't have to understand what he's doing, but I get to watch while he's doing it. Watch how he loves your heart. Watch how he loves through your heart. Watch how he heals your heart. Watch how he speaks hope into your heart. Watch how he gives new dreams to your heart. Watch how he does it. You see, Jesus himself said your eyes are the window to your soul. You have fixated your eyes on so many other things. And through fixing your eyes on so many other things, you've allowed so much into your heart. that yeah. has zero right to rest. Next to God. Don't welcome me in, Solomon. Give me your heart. And then watch what I'll do. Watch how I clean it. Watch how I love it. Watch how I sanctify you. I strengthen you. Watch how I make you pure. Make, watch how I make you blameless. Look. Watch how I present you blameless before my throne at the end of the day, Solomon. Watch me work. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Yeah. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Mm -hmm. You never stop. You never stop working, God. Give me your heart, Solomon. And then watch what I do. Because it's going to be the best thing to ever happen to your heart. And the overflow of that is going to be the best thing to happen to the hearts around you. Because when people experience your heart, they're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because I have been good to you. And then God says something absolutely amazing next. Absolutely amazing next. He says, Solomon, give me your heart. Solomon, observe my ways with your eyes. And then he says, for a prostitute is a pit, and an adulteress is a narrow well. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> All right. You was like loving and stuff, and then you went zero to 100. Like, and I think so often we'll read that, especially if we put scripture, which don't ever do that, by the way, okay? You, 
God meant what he meant when he said it and when it was written down, okay? That's what he meant when he did it and when he said it. It doesn't get to get put into a different box or container because it's 2021 right. and people decide they want to do whatever they want. Yeah. God's word is God's word, amen? Amen. amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. That'll preach, right? God's word is God's word, amen? Amen. <laughs> Which is buck wild because he finishes, he starts off and he goes, Give me your heart, Solomon, you wise guy. Fix your eyes on me, my man. And you know what? Prostitutes are a pit. And an adulteress is a narrow well. And we can hear that. We can go, wow, that sounds really harsh. That sounds really inappropriate. And that sounds like God just hates prostitutes. And we, if that is our mindset, when we read that, we have completely missed the boat. We completely missed the picture. You see, here's the deal, friends. God says, he just states a reality. Okay? He states the only reality, okay? There is no multiverse with the word of God. It is just the end all be all reality, okay? He says a prostitute is a pit and an adulteress is a narrow well. God, what do you mean by that? Well, prostitute, by definition, right, is someone that we purchase to give us pleasure. A prostitute, just so we're all on the same page, is a person that we purchase that people purchase to give us pleasure. But what we fail to realize, friends, is that anything or anybody, prostitute or not, if we purchase something to give us pleasure, it doesn't actually give us pleasure, it puts us in a pit. If we purchase something to give us pleasure, we're not purchasing it. It's purchasing us. If we purchase something or someone or something that we have put our hope in, we've put our interest in, we've invested in, and we said this thing, this Maserati, this woman, this prostitute, this sex worker, this drug, this habit, this, this whatever it is, this scene, this subculture, this people, whatever we have decided to invest in that we have gotten pleasure from or we hope we'll get pleasure from anything that we think will fulfill us outside of God. If we purchase it to fulfill us, we're not purchasing it. It's purchasing us. It's purchasing us. You can take that word prostitute and you can take that, you can put anything in there that you have invested in. That you have invested in and said, this is what's going to bring me fulfillment. This is what's going to make me have pleasure. This is what's going to make me feel good. This is what's going to bring me ecstasy. This is what's going to make me feel better. This is what's going to take me out of the slumps. Anything that is outside of God that we are purchasing. We're not really purchasing it, but it's purchasing us. And instead of ascending the hill, we will descend to the pits. An adulteress is a narrow well. An adulteress is a narrow well. What's an adulteress? If anybody or anything that we step out of covenant with God or our spouse with to bring us the satisfaction that only God or our spouse can give us. And it's a narrow well it's a narrow well. You see a pit? A pit's something that we will, by, while we're out just searching for pleasure, while we're out looking for this fulfillment, while we're out doing it, we will wander off and we will stumble into it. We will fall into it. And the more that we go to purchase pleasure, the more it will purchase us. And we will continually fall back into the pit. And an adulteress? An adulteress is... Well, we're not wandering in the dark or bad. We know our partner. We know what we're stepping out on. We're making the choice to say, I'm going to step out of this covenant and I'm going to dig a well and break ground outside of it. So one's a pit that I can stumble into while I'm wandering around in the dark and I let Jesus be my light. And the other one is when I make a conscious decision that I'm going to sneak out and I'm going to step out and I'm going to fail and I'm going to dig myself a narrow well. But what do a narrow well and a pit have in common? 
They're both deep, dark, restricting, and suffocating. They're both deep, dark, restricting, and suffocating. And friends, do you know what? You can't get out of a pit and you can't get out of a narrow well on your own. Solomon, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Because Solomon, if you keep going, if you keep doing what you're doing, you, Solomon, you are going to fall into a pit. And guess what? He did. A bunch of them. One of the wisest dudes, but he full on messed up his life time and time again. He fell in so many pits, he got in so many narrow wells that he couldn't get himself out of that he literally started worshiping other gods down in the dark. What a dummy. Quote Pastor Adrian. <laughs> so, what a dummy. Wise guy. Yeah. Solomon, give me your heart. Give me your heart because, friends, there are symptoms to poor ownership of our hearts. There are symptoms to poor leadership of our hearts. There's a byproduct for poor ownership of our hearts. When we are owners of our hearts, it is not just symptomatic sickness, but it is symptomatic going back to pits and falling down narrow wells because what happens is this. When we're the owners of our heart, we will wander. When we're owners of our heart, we will make faulty decisions. And then what happens after that is God says something else truly amazing in this moment. He says, and their sting is like a snake, and their sting is like an adder. Which is also apparently a snake or something. According to my very smart wife. He says it bites and it stings. You know what that tells me? That tells me that more happens in that pit than we know. Yeah. More happens in that well than we know. It's so much more than just hitting the water table and having a little bit of water down there. It's so much more than just getting a little bit dirty. There is bites and there is poison and there is sickness and it will cost you and it will make you sick and it will harm you. So a symptom of a narrow well, no, a symptom of poor ownership of your heart is a narrow well. A symptom of poor leadership of your heart is a pit. Well, what is the symptom of a pit? What's the symptom of a narrow well? It's sickness. And what's the symptom of sickness? Well, God goes, Solomon, who has woes? Solomon, who has bruises? Solomon. Who has cuts? Who has confusion? Who has red and tired eyes? Solomon, who has a broken heart? Solomon, who wakes up and doesn't know where, where they are or how they got there? He says, those who spill over wine. Those who spill over wine. We see a symptom of the pit. A symptom of the well. A symptom of the sickness that comes from being the sole owner of your heart. Friends, it will cause you to look to the left and look to the right for ways that you can neglect your pain. That you can nurse your heart that you can numb yourself from the realities of the decisions of how you got there. It can be sex. It can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be just getting blacked out, drunk, driving out work. It can be relationships. We will nurse with anything that we can get our hands on. God is saying, who's got woes and who is sad and who is broken and who's got these things and who nurses it with wine. And again, you can take wine and you can incorporate and sit in there, anything that's been your poison. Who's been bit? Who's still in the pits? Who's in the narrow well suffocating in the dark alone with nobody to help them get out of it? It's funny. Because God goes, do you know what a symptom 
of numbing yourself and neglecting your pain that is Solomon. He just paints an entire picture. God brings it right to our front door in the Solomon. One of the wisest guys to ever do it. God is giving him a human nature lesson. This is humanity 101 right here. This is why God has such a heart for your heart is to save you from this. He goes, Solomon, you will be like the man who lays down in the sea or hangs up on top of the mast. And she'll say, you'll say, they beat me, but I didn't feel it. They struck me, but I didn't feel it. And suddenly, suddenly, we're belligerent, we're numb. We're ingesting all of these things to numb us from our reality and our current experiences. And do you know what happens at that moment? Well, because we're still the owner of our heart. Because we've been looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. Because that fulfillment made us sick. And we want to numb ourselves from it. Well, next step is going back to looking for fulfillment. In all the wrong places. Followed by that, you know where this is going. This is cyclical. This is the sin cycle. This is what he says. He says, you're going to wake up and go, when will my life end? I need another drink. And the cycle is doomed to repeat itself because, friends, we are not supposed to own our hearts. We're not supposed to own our hearts. God wants to own our hearts. God wants to own our hearts. Worship team, you can make your way back up here. You might find yourself asking, man, that's real. And that's been me. I've been down those planes and why would God why would the God of the universe even want my heart? If I'm this flawed, if I'm this abused, if I'm this broken, if I'm this incapable of self-management. If I'm this incapable of managing my own heart and my own feelings, the own chambers within myself, why would God want this heart? Friends, family, other broken person just like Pastor Matt. God wants your heart because God wants your heart. God wants your heart because He wants it. Because He created it. Because He designed it. And He knows. He knows it's not working how it should. It's not being managed how it could be. And it is broken and it is sick and it is in desperate need. rehabilitation and for some of us resuscitation from our heavenly father is there anybody in this room today that you would dare be bold enough to put your hand up right now and say no I need God to heal my heart yeah there's hands up all over this place I'm proud of every single one of you I need God to heal my heart why would God want my heart because God wants your heart because he wants to redeem your past why would God want my heart? God wants your heart so you can be whole now. Why would God want my heart? God wants your heart so he can rescue your future. Why would God want my heart? God wants your heart because your heart was intended to look like his heart. God wants your heart because he wants to restore his image in the earth. Thank you.
friends, when your imperfect heart collides with God's perfect heart, your heart just looks like God's heart. Friends, when your broken heart collides with God's whole heart, your heart leaves that collision more whole than it went in with it. Some of us, we've been having our heart be revolving instead of colliding, and today, this is the moment when you allow your imperfect broken heart to collide with God's perfect and whole heart. And when you do, you'll be fully alive. Saying you'll be perfect, not yet. Sanctification, that's a process, that's a lifetime, but we're going to get there. Yeah. I believe in Jesus Christ, we absolutely can. He didn't die for less broken objects, He died for whole, bold, built up, completely lacking nothing objects. Yeah. Called humans, called people, called sons and daughters. You see, when you're fully alive, you'll be a fully realized person. Because a fully realized person is a person who can now be fully utilized by heaven's cause in the earth. Why does God have a heart for your heart? And so that when you are fully realized, as you can be fully utilized, you will finally realize that you are his son and you are his daughter. And you are children of the most high God. And children of God, we don't descend to the pits. We ascend the hill to heaven. Amen. Won't you stand up to your feet? Let's be ready to worship. We're